Welcome, everybody. This is For the Love of Money, where we are making you unapologetic about your pursuit of success by sharing the tools, tips, and stories of those who have already made it. My name is Chris Harder, and each week I will bring you incredible guests in order to prove that when good people make good money, they do great things. Welcome back, everybody. I am so excited for this episode because it is with one of my friends, Mike Zeller, who is the ultimate generous entrepreneur. He has given back in so many ways, one of them being donating 33 cars from his dealership worth over 300 grand to people in need. Now, Mike has spent over 1,447 hours at Tony Robbins events alone, not to mention tens of thousands of hours at other events, diving into his craft and learning how to be the best entrepreneur and businessman possible. And he drops all of that knowledge in this episode for you. He teaches you how to raise capital for your brand new business. He talks about servant leadership and so much more. So make sure you stick with us all the way through the end. You're going to be blown away by the number of lessons and the amount of value that he delivers. So let's get going. Mike Zeller, my friend, how you doing? Dude, today is a fabulous day. I am excited about life and excited to be chatting with you today, my friend. God, you know what? That's That right there is why you're successful, is because that is your <laughs> outlook on the day. I love it. It's, it's true, man. Life is too short to be negative, and life is too, uh, too exciting and too beautiful to be focused on what is wrong is, or what is missing because we can all find problems in our lives. Amen so. to that. It's where your focus is. Yep. So I want to start with talking about literally the mantra, the, the tagline behind all of your businesses. And that is, I start businesses that make the world a better place. I mean, nothing describes this podcast better than that. I love it. So give us the backstory. Where did this drive and where did this idea come from? Great, great question, Chris. And it's something I often get. And, uh, you know, it, it really comes from partly from my faith and partly from some of my early influences. You know, I had a lot of people in my early and mid 20s and even now that have invested their time and their energy and mentoring me. And, and I've invested some time and energy and, and money and getting under their feet to learn from them as well. But I just had all these influences, guys that were way ahead of me that were, you know, when I was in my early 20s, multimillionaires that were a part of like different organizations, different ministries that were uh, giving back and mentoring and, and younger men and women's lives. And, and I saw how they lived their lives in a generous way and they sought to run their business uh, in, an, in an honoring way fashion to both the people that were within the organization and the end customer. And it also comes from this concept of servant leadership. Robert Greenleaf, he was, uh, if I remember correctly, he was an old uh, professor up in Michigan, and he wrote, uh, wrote a lot about servant leadership and, and how that translates organizationally. And then you look at other books about servant leadership and how you as a leader and my desires, I realized in my early 20s, 21, 22, that I had this yearning and this ability to lead. And I was willing to take the risk 
uh, to step into that because that's it's a daunting thing and it's a daunting responsibility at times and and I wanted to embrace like if 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 I have people working with me or working for me then one of my goals is to how do I help them flourish how do I help them play in their sweet spot and how do I create lives and meaning or lives that are filled with meaning for the work they do versus a lot of organizations that feel like they shortchange themselves with with being too focused on their own internal objective of trying to accomplish the leader's goal, but your your goal as a leader will actually be accomplished more effectively, I feel like, if you are focused on also serving your team. You know, I hear this phrase, servant leadership, quite a bit lately, almost like it's a, a new buzzword, but it's also <laughs> probably one of the most effective concepts we've ever come across. What does it mean to you? So... Great question. I mean, you look at the the icons of our generation, and or of our history. So you've got guys like Martin Luther King Jr. or Gandhi, or present day. Trying to think of present day leaders. Uh, actually, even you just went to a Tony Robbins event. He's a good example of, you know, the guy. He doesn't. He's a. He's pretty much a billionaire. He doesn't have to work 18, 19, 20 hour days at UPW. Uh, when he does those huge events, and they're exhausting, and they actually damage his vocal cords, as you know. But he's so devoted to creating life change for the people in the in the auditorium. His mission is to to impact more lives than anyone else in the world, other than probably like Jesus. And and so he loves people, and he loves creating life change because of the pain that he came out of. So his orientation is like, how can I use my gifts? to serve and impact people's lives. So it's, it's, it's not versus how can I use my gifts to glorify myself um, or to create, yes, we do think about how do I grow my career, how do I grow my platform, how do I grow my business, but if that's your only orientation or your primary orientation, people pick up on that as well. And it's not as fulfilling as making it being oriented towards how can I make the biggest impact possible. Let's talk about this concept then of, of using your gifts. And Tony is totally the ultimate, you know, hero of using his gifts and, and applying them to his maximum ability. I mean, he's almost 60 years old and he's up there for 16 <laughs> or 18 hour days, just crushing it. Right. Somebody I aspire to be like, but so many people out there, they feel like they don't know what their gifts are, or maybe they have a hint that they know what their gifts are, but they're afraid to come out with them because they're going to be judged. I mean, how in the world do people even identify their gifts and, and then show them to the world? Great question, man. It's, it's something that I feel like so many of us are not reflective enough, and we don't stop to ponder. For example, if I, if I have 50 years of my working life, and I'm in my early 20s, and I have 50 years ahead of me, of working, but I never take the time to uh, really discover my gifts. So, uh, like, I go through pretty much all of the personality tests. I've done the Myers Briggs, the Colby Index, the DISC profile, the Strengths Finder. I've even done a spiritual gifts test. I haven't done Enneagram yet, but it's on my radar. But I reflect back on those and study my own gifts regularly. And then I, I've also created a, um, a, a list of like every year, sometimes multiple times a year, I'll do a start doing list and a stop doing list. 
And then I'll also track on an, in another way that helps kind of uh, percolate uh, areas that I love, you know, doing those things and then things that I hate doing, which is a life and death. So I write out literally on one sheet of paper, I'll track over the course of a week. On the front, I'll write what gives me life. And then I'll just write down everything during that course of the week that gave me life, that gave me joy, that whether it's talking with a close friend or having a great meal or listening to some great music or watching, you know, NFL, uh, something like that. And then on the other side, I'll write down all the things that gave me death during that week. So if it was dealing with Comcast or AT&T or, you know, dealing with this problem or that problem or email overload or these meetings that I didn't really want to be at, then I start asking myself, how can I eliminate all these things that give me death? And how can I create more space in my life for all the things that give me life? And so it's, it, ta it takes some intentionality to be reflective. I highly recommend doing all those personality tests. They served me really well in my early 20s. And I still go back to them. And I actually have any, anyone that works with me before they even actually start, they're required to at least knock out two of them. And then in a, on the weekly reports, they actually have, I'm an ENFP, or I'm an INTJ, I'm a high DI, or my Colby is this, or my strength, find, strength finder results are this. So I'm also reminded every week, this is who this person is, and my responsibility is to help them play more and more out of their sweet spot, because that's also where they're going to have the most fun and bring the most value. It's incredible because when you know uh, what their strengths are, then it makes it way easier for you to lead them in the way they want to be led, I'm guessing. Yeah, exactly. So you got speaking of your gifts and using them, you've used them to your maximum ability, that's for sure. You're like the ultimate entrepreneur. You have tons of successful businesses. You've got six in play right now with several more that are about to come into fruition. You've got a car dealership, a men's fashion line, which by the way, I love. A lingerie line, which I'm sure I would love on Lori. A real estate team. Uh, you do private office spaces, digital marketing agency. And, and recently you've created this high-end mastermind for like ninja entrepreneurs. And, and those are just a few of the things you're doing. So when you've got that many balls in the air, how in the world do you keep them straight? And how do you execute well on each one? So there's a leadership quote. And I forgot who said it. But uh, basically, it said, great leaders are not the ones who get things done. Great leaders are the ones who get things done through other people. So for me as a leader, I've got to step back and figure out how do I build my team and help ensure back to what we were just talking about, where people are playing out of their, their sweet spot. And so I honestly, I have, a, I have a lot of business partners. So I also look for business partners. Um, I look for people that are really gifted in certain areas, but they need someone like me who can come alongside and galvanize and drive something forward. Or if I'm the one with the idea, then I'm looking for people who are incredibly skilled artists or incredibly skilled producers so that I can bring them into the fold. And they're, they're often looking for vision. They're looking for ideation. They're looking for you know, a team approach as well. And I couldn't do it without great partners, which I'm proud to say I have many great partners, and I couldn't do it without a great team. And, and also, I have to get out of the way and trust my team while 
um, continuing to elevate the standards, which is not an easy thing to do at times, but you've got to continue to drive stuff upwards in terms of excellence um, while also entrusting your team to execute and to deliver. So working with all these excellent people, have you ever gotten a situation where somebody let you down as a business partner or, you know, you guys started a business together and it was a total flop? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's, uh, you, you're going to, you're going to have as, a lot of trials and, and a lot of errors. And I, um, I look at those not necessarily as, as mistakes or total flops. I look at them as like, what can I learn from them? Like my very first business that I started on my own was an all natural, healthy vending machine business. So not, not my best idea, not the most <laughs> revolutionary idea, but I came back from like a six week mini sabbatical in Buenos Aires. And this is in 20, 2011, I think. And I came back to Nashville and I was like, I'm called to be an entrepreneur, not just at that time I was just in real estate. Started this business. It was an easy one for me to get off the ground and I raised some money. I had friends and family put in like $30,000 so I could buy some of the equipment and I put, it, put in some of my own money. But at the end of the day, I ended up losing like $25,000 and sold it off uh, in basically a year and a half. And I'm really glad I I'd, I'd still like took that plunge because it set the stage for me. At that same year, I started my socially-minded car dealership with two other good friends and business partners, Providence Auto Group. And, and I wouldn't have had the confidence or the authority to say, we can do this if I hadn't started that vending machine business. And I, I, I look at that $25,000 loss and a lot of time and energy as well. You know, that's not counting my time and my energy. Uh, but I look at it as a, an education and a feather in my calf of I learned something, I learned something great, and I figured out I can actually create a business from the ground. And, and now, now I can go on and create more successful businesses and each one I do, fingers crossed, has a better and better chance to succeed and create more profits, but also make a bigger impact. So of all these businesses that are, are up and running and thriving, do you have a favorite? Good question. Uh, I have two favorites. Um, let's see. I've got my digital marketing agency. I love what we're doing there. And we help brands and companies uh, go to another level in their messaging and their marketing and execute with their, you know, their whole story. Most, most brands and most companies don't have a clear, compelling, unique selling proposition. And then it's not consistently executed across their website, their sales process, their social media, their email campaigns, their proposals. And we help companies like really generate clear, compelling stories develop strategies that work for that particular industry and that particular company. And then at the end of the day, you're about results as a company. So it's about sales um, and, and the sales that you generate. I love what we're doing. We're really helping develop some high-level brands um, and companies within that business. And then I love my Rising Stars Mastermind. That's been a lot of fun just working with these you know, high-level, mid-20s to early-40s, type people that haven't arrived yet, but they're hungry and motivated and ready to go to a whole, whole other level. You know, they're high achievers already, but they're like, you know, like they're not at the Tony Robbins level where they're like, man, you know what? 
I've got millions in the bank. I'm happy. I'm content. They're still hungry. They want to get to another level. And that's been, that was actually one of my hardest businesses to start internally because of my own fear. But once I got over it and had our first session, the feedback was enormous and it was so gratifying to, to impact and to serve and mentor some of these super bright young men and women. I'm starting to see a trend form. You know, so with the mastermind, with the digital agency marketing, with everything we've talked about at this point, it almost seems like your zone of genius is finding people with talent and giving them that boost that they they may not have without somebody like you coming along. Is that kind of a, a fair assessment? Yeah, that's. Uh, I've never had anyone put it that way, but that's that's pretty accurate. That's pretty insightful, man. I appreciate that. You're the guy that makes the seeds grow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, fertilize it a little bit. So what's been the toughest business? Now, not which one was a flop. We already talked about that. But of all the ones that are up and thriving, is there one that's just, you love it, but it's tough to make go? Yeah, good question. I would say my men's clothing line, uh, Trim Menswear or WearTrim.com. The challenge with Trim has been I had never started a fashion business and I jumped into a totally new industry. And one that is very capital intensive, anything in the apparel or product side like that, uh, there's a heavy front-loaded aspect of like you pay for your design, especially if you're making custom. If you're just white labeling products, it's not a big deal. But when you're paying for custom designs and then custom manufacturing and all this, it's a lot of capital on the front end. Everyone wanted me to pay before they produce results ultimately. And, and it's, a, it's an industry that takes typically about three years to get profitable. And so we're a year and a half in, and it's been more expensive, uh, a bigger challenge than I expected. But also, at the end of the day, you know, you go through those hard things in life, and I've grown so much through the process. You know, I've raised almost $200,000 for that business. I, but, I, but back in the early stages, you know, first year, I had moments where I was so stressed coming up with capital, with trying to drive progress in the business, and so many setbacks. Even the day, sorry, three days before my Kickstarter launch, three or four days before my Kickstarter launch, I got the flu for the first first time in 15 years. I didn't even know I had it until like two days later where I was just like a red flu symptoms because I hadn't had the flu in over 15 years at that point. And it was just a sign of like, and I got all this bad news right before I launched for Kickstarter too, where it was really calling me to question whether or not I should go through with it. I'm so glad I did, but it was, and, and I happened to be reading The Obstacle is the Way. Have you read that? No, not think? yet. Mm-mm. So literally all during the week of our Kickstarter launch, which is a huge high intensity launch, all I had the energy to do was literally send about an hour's worth of text and Facebook messages and read one chapter a day in the obstacles away. That's all the energy I had. It was totally wiped. Fortunately, I had already set up my team to do most of the Facebook messages and LinkedIn messages and all that. But it was the hardest, the biggest uh, form of resistance I had had ever at that point. And it was freaking hard. You push through anyways. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Let's go there a minute. You, you talked about raising capital. That's something that intimidates the daylights out of me. I, I don't even know where to begin. It's it's a huge weakness, I would say. And 
in my tool belt. And, and I know a lot of people feel the same way. And then at the same time, you see all these people out there with their Kickstarters and everything, and they're thriving and they're raising all this money for their business. So help guide us down that a little bit. You seem to be great at raising capital for new business. Um, what are the best businesses for this? And, and heck, how does someone even get started to do this? Yeah. So you, when you're thinking about raising capital, you know, the easiest way and the way to typically start is one, I would say, start with being a giver. Be sure that you as a person that you are, your ethos is I'm a giver and I'm there to contribute value to other people's lives. And, and when you've developed a reputation of that, it becomes a lot easier because you are more trustworthy uh, because you've already got that self selfless oriented orientation, right? So, um, but one way, so I've done it three main ways. I've raised money through crowdfunding, like my Kickstarter, my girlfriend's got a Kickstarter right now that's going on playground, uh, for her music album. And it's, it's going well as well. And then secondly, so crowdfunding is a great tool. There's a lot of different ways you can do that. Um, but I highly recommend that. Secondly, the uh, angel investors where I'm going to people and selling portions of equity in a concept or an idea where they get a piece of the upside. Uh, and I've done that with my men's clothing line. And then third element, raise capital where I do guaranteed notes. So fortunately, I did make some smart strategic investments in real estate. One of my businesses is in real estate, actually two of them in Nashville. And I made some smart strategic investments and bought great homes and properties in Nashville, and I had equity. You know, I still have several hundreds of thousands of dollars in equity in multiple properties, and so I can use that equity as leverage and, and give peace of mind. Because you as the investor, you're interested in what is the probability I get the upside, and then what is the probability that I won't lose my money? And when I can go to an investor and say, you know what? For $50,000, I'll give you 12% guaranteed interest rate for a year plus pay you back in that, at that end of that year time frame. And your $50,000 loan is going to be secured by a piece of property that I have plenty of equity in. Then they have peace of mind knowing, hey, they're going to be taken care of. And then if you know my first deals uh, actually was the vending machines where I raised literally my... The 30000 that I raised, I raised it in one $10,000 chunk, another $10,000 chunk, and then two $5,000 chunks. So I was in small little dollar allotments. But that gave me confidence that next few rounds, I could raise 15000 I could raise 25000 and now I'm raising typically in $50,000 increments. And, but you got to start small. You know, Walt Disney said this whole thing started with a mouse. So even if you have to personally guarantee something, um, it, you know, some would advise against that. But if, if you have some assets and you're confident enough in yourself and your idea and willing to take that risk, I say go for it because the education. And, and most of us regret the things we didn't do versus the things we did do. So I love this subject. I know people are so curious, but I'm going to ask you to get even more granular if you don't mind. So yeah, crowdfunding, explain that to us for, you know, for people that don't know, then angel investing, explain that a little further to us and yeah. then guaranteed notes, explain that a little bit further, especially sure. how in the world do you find an investor? So how do you find an angel investor? How do you find an investor interested in guaranteed notes and how do you get your crowdfunding 
campaign going? Yeah, yeah, great, great question. So before you actually begin with the investing side, you've got to start thinking about what is my brand? What is my persona? What is my reputation? Am I known as someone who who knows what what they're doing when it comes to business? Um, what is what is your feather in your cap? Uh, say you're you're launching a technology company. Did you come from a successful technology venture? Um, or if I'm launching, say, a real estate development, have I done a, you know bought and built two or three homes before where I got some success, some smaller levels of su- success? Um, for the crowdfunding, so there's two different uh, two different main areas that for you as the businessman that are relevant or a businesswoman. First is is things like Kickstarter. Like my girlfriend, for example, she's for her Kickstarter right now. She's just trying to raise ten thousand dollars. Ideally, they'd like to hit twenty, but they set their goal at ten thousand, and they're giving away free product, access to their songs, some other special gifts and incentives. Uh, for backing and for giving a little bit of money ahead of time, you know, before it's actually released. And that's the beauty of Kickstarter for my clothing line. When I did that uh, with, uh, you know, I was giving away uh, shirts. You, would, you were actually buying product. You'd receive product in return for donations. Um, so that's one way. Now there's other sites like I think it's called WeFund me.com is one of them. I can't remember exactly, but there's other sites where you actually sell portions of equity. So if I've set my company valuation at 1 million or 3 million, and I want to raise $100,000 to go to another level in my company, people now can back and give $1,000 and get uh, 1% of a company that's valued at a million dollars. And it's usually in a convertible debt type structure. And, and so I highly recommend that. I'm launching later this year. If all, all goes as planned, I'm launching a sustainable bedding company from uh, this uh, designer, Jeff Garner with Prophetic. We're going to launch and do a crowdfunding campaign where we actually sell portions of our equity um, on there. And then as your business scales up and the valuation goes higher, instead of having to go to two or three people to raise $200,000, you might be able to sell to the masses and raise $200,000 through 30 or 40 or 50 or 100 different backers that each get a small sliver of the company. But you've actually, one of the beauties of that model is you actually have created more people who have an ownership in your company and want to support your company, right? So if, if you have 50 people that believe in your company and are committed, that's, there's a huge uh, value of that and, and their marketers, their brand evangelists, their raving fans for you. So that's the crowdfunding uh, side of things, and I highly recommend that. And I've written about that on on my blog as well, um, which you can find on mikezeller.com, where I've talked about my successful journey in Kickstarter. Then secondly, we were talking about selling equity. Um, the equity side you know, that's, that's a little bit harder and it, you don't get there overnight, but I would say um, figuring out your valuation, going to people that resonate, one, with your cause, and two, that believe in you. Sometimes people will invest just because they believe in you. And, and they, fingers crossed, they hope that you make it and they, they want to see you uh, succeed because there's, there's an intangible 
joy in helping another person succeed or helping another person make their next step. Um, so that's selling equity. You know, that's a little more complicated. It can be done. And obviously, you got to get lawyers more involved in those type of things to help design the convertible debt structures. And, and especially when you get to the venture capital raise scenario, that's a little bit different. Um, and I haven't done the venture capital yet. Though that's one of my goals this year is to actually raise two or three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars for a project. Um, and then third is the guaranteed promissory notes. So you think of what what asset can you pledge to another person in return for them giving you money at some sort of return, and it doesn't have to be guaranteed, though it's often easier. Like you think of a lot of people. Uh, you know, they're, they're investing in money market accounts or stocks, that type of thing, and, and they're not getting a guaranteed 12% or a guaranteed 10%. I've had, I've had people that have said, Mike, dude, if you just gave me a guaranteed 8%, I would be happy. And, and so, you, you know, building relationships with, with different people that have some money on the sidelines and, um, and figuring out how can you give to them. Like, I've, everyone that I've uh, that has put in money for different projects of mine, there are people that knew, liked, and trusted me. And they knew that I had a reputation of following through. Obviously, I'm not uh, perfect on timing sometimes because timing doesn't always work, but, um, but they know I follow through in launching and growing businesses. And, and they see that, and then I've built a reputation around that. So what, you know, ask yourself, what type of reputation am I building now? Um, and then how can I, how, how can I leverage up and build a greater reputation and how can I create, uh, something that's valuable for an investor? It's incredible. So your reputation now is, is really your capital later. Yeah, exactly. So you, you should start before you need the capital is when you need to start building your reputation. So people listening right now, they're saying this dude is beyond smart. He's, he's too smart for me. You know, I could never learn all this. But this doesn't come naturally. I mean, you call yourself a student, a student of leadership in your 20s and then a student of sales after that. And, and now you, you call yourself a student of business. And you've literally spent thousands and thousands and thousands of hours learning and practicing everything that we're talking about right now. As a matter of fact, you and I were talking, you have spent 1,447 hours of Tony Robbins events of your time at Tony Robbins events. Is that right? Do I have that number right? Yeah. That's yeah, insane. It's crazy. I know, right? That's insane. Okay. So what is your favorite way to learn? You know, out of these tens of thousands of hours, what's your favorite way to learn? So uh, I got this from two guys, Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss, and it's immersive. So you think about if I want to learn a foreign language, I'm not going to study one hour a week, go to this language class on Monday evenings from like five to six or six to eight, I'm going to go, if I really want to learn that language, I need to go and move to Argentina and learn Spanish for six weeks or six months. And then I can be fluent versus I could do that two hours a week for five years and barely be able to hold a conversation. Same thing in business. So when, with Tony's stuff, one of the things I love is man, he just, when you're there, you're there. You're all in. It's an immersive experience. And he goes, as you know, he goes 12, 14, 16 hours a night sometimes. And, and as a result, you 
deepen your knowledge and awareness and you accelerate. I'd rather do an immersive experience all day long. Now I, I value coaching. That's like, you know, once, once a week or once a month or whatever, I value that too. And I do that and I value reading books. I read pretty much a chapter a day in a book, if not more, every day, uh, hardly without fail since I was 19. And, and so I've been constantly learning, but I am going to learn best from the immersive experiences. That's why I like my mastermind for rising stars. It's a, it, it's, it's three two day events spread out over the course of the year. And it's immersive all in for those two days. And we bond, we get closer. It's a smaller group of people. It's about 20 people for each session and you grow more. So that's, I don't know if that's been true for you, Chris, but that's, that's how I learn best. It's absolutely true. I just got back from a Tony Robbins event this past weekend and you're right. When you're totally immersive, like in it, in it, you can't help but change and have it become a part of your DNA. Yeah. It's incredible. So who's the best mentor you've had? Who do you look up to the most? Good question. So I would credit mentors from afar, though I've had some personal interaction with him. Tony Robbins would definitely be my number one. Uh, if I look at uh, just how he's changed my life, how he's changed how, how I tell stories, how he's empowered me to start more businesses and to like create healing in my heart from like broken relationships and things like that and to just overcome my fears, he's number one. Highly recommend. I've literally had almost 100 friends go to Tony Robbins events that I've encouraged to go to. And without fail, every single one of them has loved it or really liked the event, if nothing else. Many of them have gone back two, three, four, or five times as well. Jay Abraham, I was just at a three-day uh, event with Jay Abraham. He was actually a business mentor. He still is a business mentor to Tony Robbins, to Damon John, uh, other guys, Ramit Sethi, for those guys that are fans of his. Brilliant guy, one of the best marketers and marketing strategists of all time. He's literally been responsible for uh, for over $12 billion worth of results in his marketing strategy approaches. So I learned from him, and now I can implement it in my own businesses and in other people's lives uh, or other companies that we serve. And then, uh, let's see, John Maxwell learned a ton about leadership from John Maxwell early on, and another guy, uh, Bill Hybels, and Erwin uh, McManus was a huge influence for me. Then who else? Um, then marketing, I'd say, yeah, Jay Abraham, Ryan Dice, and a few others. But those are some of my favorites right now. So you're talking about all these epic leaders, and you're talking about in the past how you take people and you help their ideas grow and you help make them successful. Mm -hmm. I'm guessing you see some kind of trend that holds people back or blocks them from being successful in business. Yeah, there's definitely a few trends, and and. I like Tony's explanation of it. There's three ways to create a breakthrough. One, change your story. What is the story you're telling yourself? What is the story you're telling to others? And interrupt those stories. Like I, I was just having dinner with two buddies. They're big time real estate investors Wednesday night in Nashville. And one of them had just come back from Tony Robbins and he kind of, he, he has trouble getting into the negative. And, and he was acknowledging that. And then he went into this little negative story um, about this experience he just had. And then when he finally got towards the end, I was like, his name's Justin. I was like, Justin, let, let's not end on that. 
And he's like, you're right, that was a negative story. Let's, and so we shifted the conversation back because it, it, like you said earlier, you change your state, you change your story by changing what you focus on. And you can create, you literally can create different chemical reactions in your body by what you focus on. And so changing your story is a huge part. Number two, changing your state. If, if I'm in a negative or a lethargic state, get up and move. Eat something good that energizes you. You know, do something, create action and momentum, and that will change your state. And then the third is change your strategy. That's where the stuff that the tools I learned from Jay Abraham and all these other guys, just slight distinctions and strategy can make exponential impacts in your life, not just your health, but obviously your businesses. Whatever you're creating in your world, your career, change your strategy in your career can create major, major shifts. So, um, and overcoming, when you do those three things, you're overcoming internal resistance, which is a huge block for most people. And, and even for myself, it's like, we, have, we all have fears, like, right? Is this going to succeed? Am I good enough? Am I smart enough? Do I have the right people? What happens if this fails? You know, those type things, and, and, and I've learned you just, you got to press through it, and that's part of the reason I'm, I want to test out, like, this concept of seven days to launch your own business, um, and just help create, create momentum and galvanize people to start their own business in seven days, to get it out in the world in a micro mini test, right? Like, that's one thing I learned from, from uh, Tim Ferriss and a lot of these other guys, and I'm sure, heck you've done before and you've done with Lori with just testing out different products and different services. You just, you just get it out there. You don't try and perfect it because perfection is often the enemy of greatness and, and it blocks us. Perfectionism causes more procrastination than almost anything else. And if we can get past the need to be perfect with our first launch, Reed Hoffman, the founder of LinkedIn, he said, if your first release of your product isn't something you're totally embarrassed about, you release too late. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I love that. Okay, so tell us about the seven-day business launch. Are you willing to share it? Some of the yeah. tips? And yeah, so, so the seven-day business launch is, is basically how do I get my concept, how do I crystallize my idea enough? So the step number one is identify my why. The number two, what is my brand identity? The name, the logo, the domain, the tagline. How do I get that stuff clarified? So that would be day two. Then number three, what's my sales model? Number four, what's my marketing model? And then number five, what's your 90-day action plan for execution? Number six, go live. Like actually try and land your first customer, whether it's through a website. You know, you can build a landing page in an hour if you want. And then number seven, day number seven, refine and improve. Look at the overall results, refine and improve, and just go at it again. So the whole concept is sometimes we wait. Like I've literally had friends that have toyed around with businesses' ideas and worked on it on the sidelines, sometimes for years, and never got it off the ground. That, and this also partly comes from this book I read called Just Start by Leonard Schlesinger. He's a president of Babson College, was a former Harvard Business School professor. And the book is 120 pages, and in the core concept, it's like Lean Startup, or um, what's the book called by Eric Rice? Lean, is it Lean Startup? The, the Lean Startup. 
Yeah, yeah, the lean startup. So it's like, just get out there and test it and get feedback as quickly as possible. And, and, and we've got to get past this need to be perfect. And so that's the whole concept. If that's something you know, your audience is interested in, it's something I'm getting ready to test out. And, and all you have to do if you're interested in that is just, just text, um, to, text seven day launch to the number is, I'm pulling it up here. I think it is uh, 36119. And let me pull that up here. Shoot, I thought I had that pulled up, but that's that's end goal. It's like how do you get how do you get as quickly as possible to? Uh, and actually, the number is seven day launch is what you text to three one nine nine six three one nine nine six. So how do I get quickly as quickly as possible? How do I get my concept to life? It's absolutely incredible. I just want to repeat that so everyone got it. Text seven day launch to three one nine nine six. It's something I wish I had back when you know I was trying to get everything started because the fear of everything having to be perfect, the fear of everything having to be ready, um, that held me back forever. And I always say one of the greatest gifts I ever got from my wife Lori was she's the type that jumps off a cliff and, and builds her wings on the way down. And so slowly she's been able to chip away at at my old fears and, and turn me into somebody who's willing to just throw it out there and, and work on it once it's out there. Yeah. Let me actually, since that's a fear you have, can I, can I dive in a Please. little bit more? All right. So I, part of my own refinement it has been through, uh, there's this book called 80% approach by Dan Sullivan. Highly recommend you can get it on Amazon. He's founder of strategic coach and the 80% approach is this. How quickly can I get something to 80% and then either release to the market or hand off to let someone else take it another 80%? Because most of us wait till we get to 100% or in our mind it's 100% before we release the product instead of if I can get it to 80% and then let someone else take it another 80% and then the third 80%, at, at the second 80% you're at 96%. And at the third one, you're at 99.8%, something like that. Crazy. And you can do all that sometimes in a matter of a week or two versus the old model. Like literally for my car dealership, we had one website that we created and designed and we worked on it for six months and spent like 15 grand and we never released it. God, that's amazing. And, and it was because we were so driven towards perfection at that time. And we wasted so much energy versus how quickly can we get it out there and get it done and get it improved. Now, you know, there's, there's right, there's better, there's modifications of that idea, of course. So use it with wisdom, but the whole concept of like, man, how quickly can I get the core idea out there released? Because you know what, in today's world, the world changes fast and we don't know what's going to work or not. We need to get real feedback, not hypothetical ideas, but real feedback as quickly as possible. Mike, I have I had to laugh when you said fifteen grand because that's exactly what I spent. Uh, I had to buy for the love of money .com when I got the idea a year and a half ago. Yeah. Like the idea downloaded to me, I'm like, yes, that's the name, that's the website. No matter what, I have to have it. And somebody was sitting on it, and oh. I had to spend fifteen grand to get it. And Dude. you know, my intentions were I'm going to come up with this thing right away, and I kept putting it back burner, back burner, back burner, and I'd use being busy as an excuse, but really mm -hmm. I just was afraid to put it out there until it was perfect and finally got over that obviously, because here we are on the podcast, yeah. but it's so funny how you can 
invest so much money in something and still, still put it on the back burner because of fears. Yeah, yeah totally. It's crazy, right? So you mentioned your car dealership. I, I kind of want to go this direction because your car dealership, Providence Auto Group, you guys have given away 32 cars for 300 grand. Is that right? Yeah, it's right in that ballpark. We've given away, I think uh, here this month, we just gave away our 33rd car now actually. And it's, yeah, so we've given away part, when we founded the dealership, one of our goals uh, was first create the best car buying experience. And then secondly, every car inspired by the Tom Shoe model, but every car that we get, we sell would help us give away another car to a single mother or someone in need. And we partnered with nonprofits and other charities and other investments, I'm sorry, other ministries. And, and we've given away a lot of cars and blessed a lot of people's lives. And it's been a lot of fun when it comes to that, especially. It's incredible. And it doesn't stop there. Your real estate team leads the area in giving. Is that right? Yeah, we lead uh, for my, for Village Real Estate out of Nashville. My team is the number one giving team in the, in the whole, whole organization out of like 300 agents. So, um, so we're really proud of that. And we give back, you know, to the local community and then other like leadership development and other countries and different nonprofits that really make a difference. So that's a huge passion of ours. And it's not just money you guys are giving back. I mean, this seems to be in your DNA. You know, obviously we're all starting to learn about you. You've served on, on missions in Haiti and Uganda and Ethiopia and, mm-hmm. and all these other places doing ministry work with, with orphans. Yeah, it's, it's been like a real eye-opening experience. And it also just shifts your heart to more of an attitude of gratitude. And when, when you realize what you have and how blessed you are. And, and even also in those countries, like you realize they're also really often very happy. Now, they could still be poor and destitute, but they can be happy and grateful. So wealth, wealth can often be a, a block towards gratitude and towards joy if it's not, if it's not uh, filtered through a generous heart. So that's one thing I've learned and, and sought to be mindful of, especially as, you know, I, I wouldn't call myself wealthy yet, but one day I feel like I'll be, chances are, I'll be pretty wealthy. And I want to live with this generous, grateful heart and continue to be a giver and use whatever gifts, whatever assets I have as a platform to give back and to touch people's lives and inspire and hold loosely to possessions. Can I ask you a, uh, a, a transparent question? I, yeah. I mean transparent on, on my end. Going over to, let's say, Haiti or, or Ethiopia or any one of these places, it seems to be calling Lori and I lately, yeah. yet we have fears around going over there, um, what the conditions will be like, etc. Did you ever have these fears or did you just dive in? Sure, yeah. Like my, uh, my first time that I went, I went to Haiti when I was 19. And... And I was like, really, I was a little nervous because I was like, I've never been to a developing country or some might call it third world country. I've never been to a country like that. And, and you're not sure like what's, what's sanitation going to be like, you know, what's, uh, what's the food going to be like? Is it going to be safe or are there going to be people with guns and stuff like that? And yes, I mean, some of that, you got to be wise when you're over there, but honestly, like there's less crime in those cities than in a, the average American city. Wow. And, and so you, now if I go to the, the like rough areas of Mexico city and I'm a, a gringo, 
then I'm there's a good chance I might you know get robbed or something like that. But it, even Mexico City, Mexico City is a really safe city. I I was there for marketing consult with the international company that we're working with in January, and I loved it. It was one of my favorite cities I've ever, ever been to. And uh, but there's very little to fear, and and then it's actually a really what I've found is you often experience even more peace and even more clarity because you're also you've gotten away from the clamoring for success and the pursuit of that when you're there to give back and your soul, your mind has more space to breathe. One of my buddies and business partners, Nathan, he actually goes uh, for a season. He was going to Uganda and Ethiopia almost every six months, sometimes for weeks or a month at a time and just serving. And that was his way of giving back is just going there and making a difference. And he's, he's impacted a lot of people's lives through his trips. And he's an entrepreneur and a businessman. And, and he, would, he said he, his health and his joy would actually increase because he was no longer uh, in the rat race and in the busyness of American life. And it, can, it acts as like a reset to remind yourself of what's, what's often most important in life. And, and, and it's love, it's joy, it's giving, it's contributing to people's lives, not just building your own little mini empire and kingdom. And all of us, I feel like it's, it's a great thing for all of us to do. God, I can't agree more. I can't agree more. That's where the fulfillment comes from. That's where the, the real tangible moments of why we are here to exist come from, in my opinion. And one of the cool things, too, is you will get ideas for creative inspiration, too. When you just get yourself out of your normal routines, like some of my best ideas have come when I'm overseas, and especially when I'm in some of those developing countries that there's newness and exploration. It's incredible. So something that you and I have in common, we're both obsessed with giving, and, and I'm starting this new thing on these these interviews where... I'm forcing people to brag on themselves. You know, I'm going to call it two minutes of pride. And so for the next couple of minutes, unapologetically, I want you to tell us about your <laughs> absolute favorite moment of giving or giving back or somebody that you lit up. Go. That's a good question. Um, hmm. I would say it would be my second trip, second trip to Haiti, perhaps where I had five or six friends with me uh, that hadn't been to Haiti before or a missions trip before. And just to see their own life change for going on a trip like that, like it was just a joy where I had impacted their life enough and they trusted me enough to go to Haiti with me, to go out of their comfort zone and do this developing world country uh, you know, trip to another country and, and they loved it and their, their life was impacted deeply. And so that was a lot of fun. That would be one of them. And yeah, I'd say that's probably the number one, just seeing some close friends that you really cared about and seeing their lives impacted. And, and I could also say some of my favorite moments are when I've gone to taking friends to Tony Robbins events because it's such a life transformer transforming experience and even a spiritually awakening experience many times. And, and people have just expressed profound gratitude to, to me, but also to Tony, of course, and to the whole experience. And it, it was because their whole perspective changed 
and they realize how great they had it and how they were called to also called to something more to make a bigger impact. Totally. You know, we did that last week and we brought a couple of people, um, quote on us to Tony Robbins and, and yeah. to watch them transform and get excited and yeah. you know have their, their breakthrough moments and, and to see it still lasting right now is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I love yeah. it. So I just want to, um, kind of put a bow on your whole, the way you live your life of giving and all that and, and how it relates to business. You've actually said, and, and I quote, business is a mighty weapon to wield its potential for profit caused even the greatest men to neglect its greater potential, which is goodness. Mm. Can you expand on that for us? Yeah. So, all right. And then it kind of goes back to like a lot of business icons of our culture have actually incorporated elements of that whole ideology into their, their methodology. Like Zig Ziglar used to say, if you help enough people get what they want, you'll eventually get what you want. And great businesses transcendent businesses of our time, they have this, this in, innate character ethos that communicates to the customer that I am there for you. I am here to serve you. I'm here to make your life better. And you look at, for example, the difference between an Apple experience and going to a typical PC experience. If I have an issue with an Apple product, like my iPhone is acting up, and even if I'm a few days out of warranty or 30 days out of warranty, um, or I screwed it up somehow, more often than not, they will actually replace it and give me a phone right there on the spot. Versus, uh, like I had a buddy, he had a, uh, I think it was a Samsung, and Samsung or HTC, I don't remember which, it took him a week to get him a new phone. Like, can you imagine being without your phone and having to use this cheap replacement product for a week, and the whole customer experience of trying to get it replaced was a nightmare. He had to call these different, uh, different you know, customer service lines, and he'd wait 30 minutes, and they wouldn't answer, and they w wouldn't know how to solve the problem, and then he'd have to call back, and then that person would give him a different answer. You know, there's a character ethos when that a that a business has, and I think our desire, great businesses and transcendent businesses, are so focused on loving the customer. Jay Abraham says, great businesses love their customer, not their product or service. And a lot of businesses are fundamentally in love with their product or their service instead of being in love with a customer. And when you're in love with a customer, you're actually living out of a, uh, a generative or a generous ethos where you are focused on how, where is the value, where is the opportunity to serve my customer and give so much to them that they cannot but become a raving fan. It's incredible. So, I absolutely love that that entire concept. It's, it's amazing. So before I ask you my last question, Mike, yeah. where can we find you? Because there's going to be people that want to check out your mastermind, check out your yeah. everything that you've offered us here to the seven-day launch. Where can we find you? Good question. So I would say number one place, just MikeZeller.com. And that's Z-E-L-L-E-R.com. MikeZeller.com. That's the simplest way. I pretty much have that as a landing page for my different businesses and for my blog and for different things. And I'll have a little pop-up for a seven-day business launch. And again, if you're interested in that, 31996 is the course I'm creating. And I'm just going to test out and see who's interested and if, that's, uh, if that piques the market's interest uh, to see if I can add value. And, and if it does, great. If not, no worries. But that's MikeZeller.com is the best spot. 
for sure. Love it. So grateful for everything that you you shared with us today. So here's the last question. And Uh it's amazing. I get all (laughs) sorts of answers to this. In your opinion, why should people be unapologetic about their pursuit of wealth and success? So great question. So I would say if, if it is generated, your pursuit of wealth and success is driven by your desire to give, to impact, and to serve, then be unapologetic. If it's driven out of ego and vanity, you're not going to be happy. You're going to be discontent because you're going to be living for the approval of others. But if your desire is to impact and to serve, then go for it. And, and the universe has a way of honoring that. The universe or God, whichever you want to call it, but has a way of honoring when you are a generative person and a generous person, you're given back and, and, and you're trustworthy, right? Like if, if that's your character set, and then you're trustworthy with wealth. And I, that's the type of person I'm striving to be every day. And I encourage everyone to do that. And, and to also live unashamed about your gifts and your talents. Like I love that Nelson Mandela quote. You might remember it where in his inauguration, he's quoting... Marion Williamson, and he says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. It is that we are powerful beyond measure. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, talented, gorgeous, and fabulous? Who are you not to be? You are a child of God. You're plain small. Doesn't serve anyone. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that others won't feel insecure around you. In fact, as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously liberate others to do the same. So that's my favorite quote, and that's that's my, I try and wire that in. That's why I've essentially got it memorized. And I would encourage anyone to like step into your greatness. You've you've been called to live a great life, and it's going to be unique and different from me, and it's going to be unique and different from you. You've got a unique life of greatness ahead. Step into it. Oh, Mike, I love that. That quote is everything. I totally love that one. And and boy, you you are the walking example of living as a giver and, and living as a, a guy full of integrity and, and doing his best to make the world a better place. So thank you. That. Thank you. Thank you just for what you do in life. Oh, dude, you're the best, man. Excited, excited to be on your podcast and, and can't wait to, you know, share it out to my friends, but also just excited to see what you create and the difference that you make in people's lives. So I'm proud of you, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. All right, mate. My friend, I can't wait to uh, catch up soon. Talk soon. See ya. Thanks for listening. And if you loved this episode and know of someone else who is as successful as they are generous, please pass them on to me. It would mean the world to me if you help me get this cause and this message out to as many listeners as I can. So please, if you liked what you heard, it goes a long way if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. I'll be forever grateful. And until the next episode, cheers to your success.